Asia Pacific Currents. News and labor issues from the Asia Pacific region. We strongly condemn the, the police that arrest uh, the protesters. Saturday mornings at 9 o'clock on Community Radio 3CR. Workers of the world should unite to fight this greedy capitalist. Brought to you by Australia Asia Worker Links. Good morning and welcome to Asia Pacific Currents. It is Saturday the 22nd of July here on Community Radio. I'm Giselle Hanna. And I'm James Berry. And we're taking you through to 9.30 this morning. Um, Just a quick reminder, Radiothon is not done. We're still a couple hundred dollars short. So please make sure you uh, give us a ring, 94198377 during business hours and pledge if you're up for pledging. We know that times are tough. You've probably missed the opportunity to claim your donation on this year's tax return, but you definitely can for next year's tax return. Of course, Asia Pacific Currents is brought to you by Australia Asia Worker Links. You can find us on the web, all the w's.aawl.org.au. We're on Facebook and yes, we are still on Twitter, though we may not be particularly active and gosh, we might have to review that decision at some point. But anyway, look us up on those social media platforms. Coming up on today's program, we're going to dedicate the whole show to uh, the Talisman Sabre military exercises that are coming up on the 29th of July. Um, We're going to be speaking with Jacob Grech, who is a member of Australia Asia Worker Links. He's also a left-wing commentator on militarism. By the way, he also presents a radio show here at 3CR called A Friday Rave, <clears throat> excuse me, which is on every Friday at five o'clock. Uh, if you don't want to pledge money to Asia Pacific Currents, pledge money to A Friday Rave. Excellent, excellent show. Going to go do some community announcements and then we'll be speaking with Jacob. Focus on Myanmar, art, music and resistance. Join Past the Mic Media at Black Spark on Wednesday the 26th of July for a presentation about art, music and resistance since the February 2021 military coup of Myanmar. Featuring a statement and music from Chaw Chaw and Myanmar punk band The Rebel Riot, the photography of 2023 World Press Photo Award winner Mal Kam Wah, and a presentation and Q&A with Myanmar photographer Mako Nang. Tickets are on a sliding scale via Humanitix. As always, no one turned away. More details are available on the Black Spark event page. Focus on Myanmar, art, music and resistance. 5.30pm, Wednesday the 26th of July at Black Spark. Hosted by Past the Mic Media, a 3CR supporter. The fears are Palestinian scarves, and they're a symbol of support for justice for the Palestinian people. Buying one will support the last remaining factory in Hebron that makes for fears, and all proceeds from the sales support projects in Palestine, especially Gaza, as well as local solidarity organizations. From the traditional black and white kafir to an array of modern designs, explore the range and order online, or drop by 3CR during business hours. Wear your support for the rights of Palestinians. Go to kafias.org.au. That's K-U-F-I-Y-A-S.org.au. A 3CR supporter. Hey, 
It is five minutes past nine o'clock here on Community Radio 3CR. You're on Asia Pacific Currents. Against the backdrop of AUKUS, this year's biennial Talisman Sabre War Games in the Northern Territory, Queensland, Western Australia and New South Wales will involve the biggest number of countries yet. The 10th exercise Talisman Sabre will involve about 30,000 military personnel. The first Talisman Sabre in 2005 involved 11,000 US and 6,000 Australian troops. Joining us on today's program is Jacob Grek, AAWL member and left-wing commentator on militarism. <clears throat> He's also a radio presenter here at 3CR and produces a Friday rave at 5pm every Friday. Good morning, Jacob. Good morning, Giselle, and good morning to Asia-Pacific Currents listeners. And James is also in the studio, so you'll probably hear from him too. Good morning, Jacob. Oh, good day, James. How are you, mate? I'm well. How are you? <laughs> okay. Hey, so this year is the 10th Talisman Sabre, but it's the 18th year of the biennial event, which for listeners means every two years. Can you remind us, when did it start and why? Well, it started in 2005, I think. Um, And why it started? Well, Australia is in the post-Second World War um, period, had a very strong military relationship with the United States, and it was a a way of um, it's always been a bit of a naval, what they call littoral exercise, coastline exercise, as opposed to impact um, for training for invasion. Basically, it's a trade, it's a training. I mean, militaries always undertake training exercises. I do want to remind. <clears throat> or add that Talisman Sabre is not the only one of these war games of these training exercises that Australia participates in. There's also the biennial exercise Pitch Black. And I think in September 2020, there was another one, an exercise called Pacific Vanguard. But I couldn't see if that was a regular event of war games or just that one off. Yeah, Pacific Vanguard is a US-based one. Um, Australia generally participates. Um, I think it just finished late last year and it was off the coast of the Korean Peninsula, I think, last year, and Australia was involved in that. And there are so many of these war games, Giselle. Um, now, there, as I say, there have always been military exercises, but what we're seeing now is um, these things just going one after the other after the other. And we've just come back from an exercise in Guam, um, off the coast of Guam, um, with Korea and Japan and the United States. Then we're doing Talisman Sabre off the coast of, well, you've said where, mainly off the coast of Queensland, but also in the NT and down in Jervis Bay in New South Wales. And then as soon as we finish this, we're off to exercise Malabar which is also up in North Queensland, which is with the Quad, um, Japan, US and India and ourselves. So these things are just... Whereas they used to be, you know, short exercises once every couple of years and only a few of them, they're increasing in frequency, they're increasing in duration, they're increasing in troop numbers and they're increasing in countries participating. So we move into the stage where the Australian military, and not just the Australian military, of course, most Western militaries, but I'm concerned with the Australian military, is almost 
always undertaking some kind of military training exercise with the United States. Uh, so, Jacob, uh, in, you're talking about the increase in frequency of these uh, of these events. What is the reason for the increase in frequency? Can you talk a little bit about what the the targeted adversary is? Oh, am I allowed to say the C word? Yeah. Yep. <laughs> yes. Um, all right. Well, the C word in this context is China. Um, I think most listeners to Asia Pacific Current should be aware that. Um, there is a there is a huge cold war going on between the US based Western Alliance, US capital, and Chinese capital. Um, basically over trade and provisions. I mean that you can be disguised or veneered over, lacquered over in such things as Chinese aggression in the region and all the rest of the rhetoric that's coming out of Australian and US politicians. But what it's about obviously, is economic dominance in the region. And um, Australia is part of the block of Western capitalist countries that are trying to maintain its dominance and stop China from taking over some of our packs, to not put it too bluntly. Well, let, I want to... <clears throat> let me go there just a bit. So the first thing is... Uh, I, I mean, I'll put this question to you later, but if you want to answer it now, you can, which is, do, do you think that war with China is imminent? Controversial statement. I don't think it is, but I'm happy to debate that with you. But my question, so a, there's been a lot of public commentary about China's spy ships uh, approaching the um, terrain of Talisman Sabre in order to monitor what's going on, yet no one's stopping them. So there is that, well, what you described as a Cold War, a tacit acceptance uh, that they're going to be monitoring Talisman Sabre. How do you explain that? What's what's your analysis of, of that? Well, a couple of things. First of all, the Chinese ships are in international waters off the coast. They're not coming into Australian territorial waters. So legally, um, not that that always concerns us, and there is nothing that Australia can do about it. And I guess particularly as Australia has um, been part of a whole lot with the United States of what it calls freedom of navigation patrols, where they basically use um, surface ships and aircraft to travel right along the disputed territory of China in the South China Sea. So as they're constantly doing freedom of navigation exercises right on China's coast, I think it's a bit of a pot call in the kettle black to say something about Chinese um, surveillance ships monitoring Australia's movements. And those uh, navigation, freedom of navigation uh, trips, or the, the ones that the Americans and the Australians are taking, they've increased just as this, the size of this, uh, this uh, military exercise have increased. Uh, they've also been increasing that, um, taking, confronting or trying what they call confronting China over that South China Sea is issue. Yeah, I think people need to remember that it is actually called the South China Sea, not the West Bloody American Sea. Um, with China has territorial claims in the South China Sea. Now, they are disputed, obviously, um, by the Philippines, Vietnam, I think Malaysia, um, Japan, obviously. Um, 
But what the United States and Australia is doing, what AUKUS is doing, and it's not just the United States and Australia, I've got to say. Japan's taken part, South Korea's taken part, Germany has started moving ships across into the South China Sea. Um, NATO is about to open an office in, in Tokyo, just by the way, to make an uh, Indo-Pacific branch of NATO. Um, what they're doing is basically, I guess, goading the Chinese into, into responding. And can I just ask quickly, uh, Germany has been involved in these uh, the, the Talisman Sabre uh, exercises for the first time. Uh, and you just mentioned Germany before as well as with the South China Sea, um, pushing the South China Sea issue. Uh, can you talk a little bit about why is Germany uh, suddenly getting involved in the Pacific? Well, <coughs> Germany's had a change of government and um, it's, very, it's a lot closer to the United States than it was previously. Not that it was very far, it was always a central part of NATO. Um, but particularly since the NATO talks in, what was it, March or May? Um, May, that um, <coughs> Australia and um, Australia took part in or was an observer at, um, NATO have taken a harder line on China. Now, Japan's new government is talking about, you know, they're hiding behind a bit of a veneer of being country agnostic towards China, saying it's not anti-Chinese, just much like, you know, straight out of the Australian playbook, it's not about China. It's about de-risking and decoupling um, its economic interests and diversifying diversifying its economic bonds. But basically what we're seeing is for all the... For all the rhetoric that's coming out of NATO now and has come out of Australia and Japan for quite some time, um, we are countering China. Um, and NATO's just, particularly, as I say, since the last meeting and the G7's last meeting, um, the, the attacks on China have ramped up. So do you think that war with China is imminent? And when I say war, let, let me just be a little bit um, basic about it. I, I mean um, traditional warfare that involves weapons and troops and invasions and uh, mass casualties and destruction of buildings, etc. I don't mean Cold War type scenario. Do you think that kind of war is imminent? All right, let me ask you, let me ask you a, a question back to answer that one. Is there currently a proxy war between the West and Russia taking place in Ukraine? Uh, I mean, yeah, I, I think there is, but I, yeah. but at the same time, I do think that Russia needs to be called out of Ukraine. Regardless of who's right or wrong, there is a war between the West and Russia, a proxy war taking taking place in Ukraine at the moment. So the reason, do you think and, then a proxy war with China will be fought on Taiwan? Well, it could be Taiwan. It could be um, it could be on one of the South Pacific nations. It could be in the Solomon Islands. It could be in Fiji. Um, it could be in Kiribati. Um, I think that's a more likely scenario. I don't think. Look, everybody knows that a a direct confrontation between the Western Alliance, led by the United States and China, would be devastating. It'd be the end of the game. And that's why it can't happen. You know, I mean, 
I don't want to sound like I'm a proponent of Reagan's mutually assured destruction policy, but everyone knows that if we go to war with China, it's going to be game over. So the option is to contain China and to hurt China and by limiting its capacity to expand its economic interest and its, you know, its Belt Road initiative, One Belt, One Road initiative. And that is more likely to happen in somewhere like the South Pacific or somewhere in the South China Sea or perhaps even somewhere around the Sahel in Africa. Well, I was yeah. just going to follow up on that, Jacob, because uh, they've talked a little bit, or there's been commentary over the past couple of years that the civil war that's been going on in Ethiopia is in some ways a US-China uh, proxy war. Um, but I, I want to just follow up on what you're saying about the South Pacific, or the Pacific itself, because that is an area where China has been using um, uh, their their resources to come in, uh, not, and with Solomon Islands has, t- of course, taken the front um, the picture because of the, the the agreement the Solomons has had with um, with China, but also in Kiribati and other places, China has been supplying medical personnel and others uh, as a I guess what the Americans call soft power. Uh, do you uh, so you foresee that the conflict is is going to arise in one of these countries most likely? Uh, would you see this as being uh, something that's built on existing fault lines in the Pacific, or do you have another view on it? Well, the fault lines have been there for quite some time, um, but and look, it's 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 a hard it's a hard one to pick. I, I don't I, I I don't you know claim to be a Nostradamus on these kind of issues. But the thing with existing fault lines are are long established. But where the danger could arise is where a new fault line develops. If China increases substantial aid to Fiji, um, that the US and Australia take exception to and move into Fiji. I mean, anything's anything's possible on any of, on any of the islands. And we've also seen Papua New Guinea recently more or less surrender its entire sovereignty to the United States military. Uh, but I, w- I wanted to talk a little bit about the countries that are sort of wedged in the middle. You mentioned the Philippines and other countries before. They aren't exactly pro-China, and they are, you know, friendly to the United States alliance. But they're not happy with what's happening uh, with these military exercises or with the general ramping up on of tension. Um, what do you foresee with the? What is your analysis on Indonesia and other countries and their uh, being the meat in the sandwich between the U.S. and China? Sorry, you said the Philippines and which other country did you say? Indonesia, uh, Vietnam and the Philippines, countries that are more aligned to the United States but are not happy with these military exercises and any provocation of China. I mean, isn't Indone- Indonesia participating in this year's Talisman Sabre, aren't they? Do they usually? Yeah, um, not usually, but they, they have in the past, yes. And um, they've also participated in a kangaroo exercise and in... Um, pitch black, which is an air force exercise across the top of Australia. But as for the Philippines, you know, just earlier this year, um, there's been a new agreement with the United States of status uh, extension or an expansion, rather, of their status of forces agreement with the Philippines, which gives them access to an additional four bases um, to the ones they've already got. I think they've already got four or five already. Um, So while they're not happy with it, it's almost as if they, well, it's much like a, they don't really have much of a say in the matter. 
they say they're not happy with the exercises because they also have very strong economic ties with China. But it's not up to the Philippines to say how the United States is going to use their military. This is what we call sub-imperial power. And with Australia's interests here, uh, it's interesting because Australians often think that when there's a, if, if there is a war, that the United States is going to come and save Australia. That's the view of what the alliance is about. But the Americans seem to have a very different view. The Americans will fight a war based on their own interests. Can you talk a little bit about that? Yeah, well, look, that, that view comes from the ANZUS agreement that um, was signed in 1945. Now, the whole basis of the ANZUS agreement was that after the end of World War II, America signed a peace treaty with Japan, but Australia refused to sign a peace treaty with Japan. Now, America needed Australia to sign a peace treaty with Japan so it could move on with its economic redevelopment of Japan. And um, the Menzies government basically, what's the word, not coerced, got, got an agreement out of the United States because they were going to a federal election and they couldn't be seen to be making peace with Japan before a federal election because the Labor Party would have killed them. You know, the Labor Party wasn't always the internationalist sort of party it is now. And so they had an agreement with the United States that the United States begrudgingly gave Australia to say so they could say, listen, we've got a strong alliance with the United States and the United States will protect us and therefore we can now sign the peace deal with Japan. Whereas, in effect, the ANZUS agreement only calls on both parties to negotiate and to confer, I think is the word used, in the event of an attack on either of the countries um, in the Pacific region. So there's absolutely no guarantee of... American support of Australia in the case of Australia being attacked. Now, when we started this discussion, Jacob, you set this up as a a fight, a battle over scarce resources. And we know that capitalism inevitably results in war. And that's all we're seeing is a crisis of capitalism resulting in a war over scarce resources. My question for you is, what do you? What is a way forward for the workers' movement or for workers or for human beings um, against competing imperialist forces while imperialist powers are sorting out who, who's boss, who's in charge? Because what we would say, what I would say, is that workers don't necessarily have a horse in the race and that we have our own interests that we need to fight for separately. Um. Well, it depends what you mean by us. Um, when we're talking Fair. about Australia, when we're talking about Australia these days, we're not necessarily talking about the people or the land mass or environment. We're talking about the Australian economy. Well, that's what I'm trying to shift the debate away from. I think that's what's dominating the mainstream, and I want to remind people that that's that's not in our interest that the fighting for australia's in, in semi-imperialist or whatever you want to call it um interest is uh you, you know that that's not going to benefit us workers we're still going to be the victims of a brutal capitalist system of course and so what workers can do and you know 
I say this. I maybe I'm just old and jaded, but I don't have I, I don't have a lot of hope. But what needs to be done is something a, a Filipino priest actually said to me in the in the mid '80s when he found out. Um, about Australia's subservience to the United States and Britain and and some of the things that have gone on here. He said, we asked him, people asked him, what could be, what can Australians do to help the Philippines? You know, the poor Filipinos, sort of um, peace movement sort of scenario. And he's come back and he said, well, the most important thing you can do is take control of your own country. Okay. And I think Australian workers need to start looking at who's calling the shots here. I think we need to let Australian workers know, you know, the basic facts about our economy, and that is, of the, you know, things like the top 20 companies listed on the Australian Stock Exchange. Out of the top 20 countries, 15 of them are majority owned by US capital. And the US capital calls the shot. So if we want to look after our own country and look after our own economy, we need to take control of our economy. And we do that by putting in places, putting in place governments and instruments that ensure that the Australian economy is working for the benefit of the Australian people and the Australian landmass. I don't think there's I mean I'm I'm falling short of using the word revolution. But I don't think there's anything short of that which is going to change the current system we have in Australia. Yeah, I, I mean, I, I agree with you that that really is the only way forward. But if, with the greatest of respect, Comrade, if I could challenge a little, and it could just be that it's early in the morning, I just really struggle with this idea of um, even isolating workers to their national borders. I mean... Yes, the Australian working class, yes, there is Australian capital and and, um, Australian interests, but those borders are, you know this, they're artificial. I mean, surely it is about recognising that capital is global and that it affects all of us and that actually the biggest victims of US, Australian, other imperialism are workers in, in other parts of the world. Oh, of course they are. Capitalism is global. But action is local. Okay. I'll now, give you that. We do. Yeah. Ha- we have to finish. I'm so sorry. I've I've opened up a can of worms, and now I'm not going to let oh. you finish. I'll give okay. you. I'll give you thirty seconds to wrap up. All right. The other thing we haven't touched on is the amount of fossil fuels and weaponry that are going to be used in Australia in the next week, which, in my um, view, accounts for the largest act of climate change and environmental vandalism in this country this decade. You're right. We didn't touch on it. Let's come back to it in um, an interview in the coming weeks, Jacob, maybe even after after Talisman Sabre. Thank you so, so much for your time on the show today. Thanks, Giselle, and thanks, James. That was Jacob Grek. He is a member of Australia Asia Worker Links. He's also a left-wing commentator on militarism and a radio presenter here at 3CR. He produces a Friday rave at 5pm every Friday. 29 minutes past 9 o'clock, that means it's the end of the show. Thanks for tuning in. Uh, We'll be back next Saturday with more news and current affairs from the Asia-Pacific region. But that's it for me, Giselle Hanna. And me, James Barry.